Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for episode 321. Today we are taking a closer look at fibromyalgia, a chronic pain condition that affects over 6 million Americans. We'll cover what it is, common symptoms, causes, and risk factors, as well as both conventional and natural treatment, food as medicine, supplementation, and so much more. Yes. So as always, today we'll take a functional medicine approach addressing the root cause of fibromyalgia. And I remember dealing with fibromyalgia back 10 years ago. Goodness, I keep saying 10 years ago, but I forget the calendar keeps turning, Becky, that it was probably 15 years ago as of now when I was working for a physician's clinic. And um, it seemed like so many postmenopausal and perimenopausal women were coming in with these kind of unknown neurological symptoms and aches and pains. And, you know, all too often the number one intervention was put them on an antidepressant. Uh, You know, there definitely is, as we'll talk about, some neurotransmitter influence on pain sensation. um, And there definitely is some central nervous system connection with fibromyalgia, be that it is widely neurological. Uh, But often that Band-Aid and that numbing of an SSRI drug really doesn't drive resolution. And so today we'll talk about, again, what drugs are used and um, the side effects to consider with the use of these medications, as well as instead of just band-aiding addressing the root cause and living pain-free while living vibrant and resilient so i know that today is going to have a lot of concrete recommendations and tools for you listeners and will be a great episode to forward on to any friend or family member that's dealing with a new diagnosis or is dealing with continued fibromyalgia issues or wants to wean off the medication that they were prescribed yes All right, before we do all that, let's just have a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, Peak State Coffee. Yes. So we met the owners of Peak State Coffee at KetoCon, and I immediately fell in love with their adaptogenic mushroom coffee. So they make beautiful whole coffee beans that are organic, fair trade, sustainably shade-grown coffee that are going to be already low acidity based on the environmental um, approach. And they partner with regenerative farmers that use the best farming practices out there. Then they roast and infuse these beautiful beans with extracts of functional ingredients using full-spectrum adaptogenic mushrooms and each dose or if you will of 500 milligrams per cup Uh, so we see blends of compounds like chaga and reishi Um, we also see turkey tail and cordyceps and lion's mane and these are all really beautiful mushrooms that can aid in neurological health act as nootropics or cognitive enhancers maintaining that clean 
burning fuel in your brain without the agitation and excitement, if you will, of excessive caffeine on its own. So when we pair in things like lion's mane and cordyceps, these adaptogens help to modulate that fight or flight stress response that a typical cup of coffee would provide. So you're not going to get that pick me up and that following crash, and also will likely have less of the effects of sleep disturbance with use of their coffee. Um, So big fan of these blends with Peak State Coffee. And again, want to note out that the taste of the coffee is absolutely bar none. My husband is a total coffee nerd, and he immediately subscribed, like after tasting their hot coffee and their cold brew, he was like, okay, subscribe for a monthly delivery, um, because he is like a curator of who he ordered his beans from and they checked all of his boxes and it's really quality whole bean form so you're still going to get that beautiful aroma that uh, same mouthfeel not like some of the products out there that are pre-blended packages and you're just adding that with water and then there's that mucky um, taste and texture This is a whole bean that you are going to be grinding on your own. You can still use all of your fun rituals of, um, what is that that we use, Becky, to pour pour over? Yeah. Chemex? Yeah, the Chemex pour over. Um, So you can still, you know, do your beautiful circular pouring of your warm water and um, do a nice French press or a Chemex pour over. And you're going to get the benefits of 500 milligrams of medicinal mushrooms while paired with a chemical-free, mold-free, non-GMO, low-acid, quality coffee bean. You get all of that in a cup to enhance your brain, mellow out your stress response, and again, maintain a healthy ritual of high antioxidants while you know that you're doing something good for the environment. Beyond pairing with regenerative uh, farmers to grow their beans, they have eco-friendly packaging and they contribute to 1% of environmental conservation. So they're a Four Planet Company, which we're all about as well. You can go on over to peakstatecoffee.com slash Allie Miller RD. Again, that's peakstatecoffee.com Allie Miller RD. And that's P-E-A-K-S-T-A-T-E coffee. Uh, you can also use the code Allie Miller RD at checkout. You will save 20% off of your order. That also lets them know that you learned about them through the Naturally Nourished podcast. And then when you buy two bags or more, you will also get free shipping. So go on over to peakstatecoffee.com. Check out their various beans and their different medicinal mushroom infusions and experience a mellow with your cognitive enhanced boost in your brain um, without the jitters and that acidity that can upset the bladder and the balance of our pH in our body. Again, it's peakstatecoffee.com slash Allie Miller RD. All right, let's do it. So starting things off with what exactly is fibromyalgia? It's kind of a, a mystery diagnosis that that people often will receive. So what exactly is it? Yeah. So it is a disorder that's characterized by widespread musculoskeletal pain and is often going to be accompanied by chronic fatigue, sleep issues, uh, memory concerns, and depression or anxiety. Researchers really believe that fibromyalgia will amplify painful sensations by affecting the way that your central nervous system, so your brain and your spinal cord, process painful as well as non-painful signals. There are over 6 million Americans currently suffering from fibromyalgia symptoms, and 90% of the fibromyalgia sufferers are women. 
Some healthcare professionals claim that it's due to decreased serotonin levels in the brain of women and that there's a relationship of that especially exacerbated when we experience a decline or dynamic change in estrogen levels in the body. Yes. Um, so you hit a couple of the, the common um, symptoms, but let's just cover um, some of the other characterizing symptoms. So Widespread and long-term pain is kind of the first one. What else are we looking at? Yeah, and it, it's just this, this kind of like dull, achy tenderness to touch. In fact, it's typically diagnosed by assessing tender points in the body. Um, we're also looking at um, fatigue and then on the other end of the spectrum, sleep disturbances. And this could be from that dull pain, like just not being able to get alleviated or or relaxed in the body. Um, We can see also headaches with these individuals. We can see uh, more severe chronic pain, depression, anxiety, brain fog, also known as fibro fog, so kind of specific to this category of individuals. And that can also influence cognitive difficulties. Um, And then we can see numbness, tingling, or neurological influence, including even like tinnitus or heightened sensitivity to loud noises bright lights and dynamics in temperature so more cold clammy extremities um, as well as dynamics of hot flash or irregular temperature um, or dysregulation I guess of temperature in the body and we'll often see that fibromyalgia will coexist with other conditions so we tend to see individuals that maybe had some adrenal insufficiency or maybe undiagnosed adrenal insufficiency but experiencing some level of chronic fatigue syndrome Um, this could be someone that's maybe like falling into like a long haul post COVID infection, but then the fibromyalgia kind of rears up later. Um, we see often individuals that have gut dysfunction, so irritable bowel syndrome, as well as inflammatory bowel disease. Um, anyone that has digestive dysregulation and high amounts of food sensitivity would be more in the category of higher risk because their immune system is in this upregulated pro inflammatory state and kind of a, a, a more norm for their body. Um, individuals that have neurological conditions. So these could be those that are dealing with migraines or other forms of headaches, interstitial cystitis or painful bladder syndromes will tend to see as a lean over into fibromyalgia. Um, we also see individuals, like as I mentioned, with anxiety or depression diagnosis, uh, postural tachycardia syndrome or POTS would be another um, potential lean over as a cross diagnosis, endometriosis, a big hormonal mediated inflammatory influence that's dominant obviously only in women. Okay, so a lot of overlapping conditions for sure and a lot of, you know, kind of questionable symptoms and, you know, difficulty in, in diagnosing because there's no definitive lab test. Like there's not like something you can get that tells you absolutely hundred percent this is fibromyalgia. Yes. Not like Sjogren's or lupus or another one of these kind of what used to be these umbrella type diagnoses. We're not looking at a particular positive antibody in the the system. And um, we're really just looking at often using a physical um, where we'll do like a tender point examination. um, And this would be conducted where a physician will press 18 different specific points and measure the pain and relative tenderness. Um, So this is usually assessing in the neck, chest, arms, legs, near the knee, at the waist, and then just below the buttocks. And I will say when we're talking about assessment of 
pain in the body. I really am looking at this um, diagram here of where they're doing this assessment. And it makes me really connect back to the idea of supporting your lymphatic Mm -hmm. system. um, Because I think that as we go into interventions, we'll talk about the importance of toxins driving, of course, especially if we're exposed to endocrine disruptors or neurotoxins that exacerbating a fibromyalgia um, experience in an individual, but that also emphasizes the need of detox and moving the lymph um, because those could be points also of stagnation where that nerve area is more inflamed. Totally. And and there is good research on lymphatic drainage massage being a treatment for fibromyalgia and decreasing pain. Um, And the one other thing I would add there is it has to be three months of widespread Mm -hmm. pain. So three months ongoing, which sounds already pretty miserable. And a lot of people People do struggle for a long time to even get that diagnosis. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of the causes or thought to be causes or, or risk factors. Right. So as I mentioned, as this could follow like a post-COVID long-haul infection, viruses are a big driver. Um, so it doesn't have to be specific to COVID. Uh, it could be a flu virus. It could be um, looking at mono um, or Epstein-Barr. When we have a viral infection that stresses the immune system and can often drive more of a hypervigilant pro-inflammatory residual response in the body. Um, So that's a big area to kind of screen if this has come on and it resides for now three months following a prior infection. Um, We also think of, as noted, toxicity exposure. So if we're someone who's working in a industrial world, um, so maybe it's someone that's in oil and gas and they're on a rig, this could also be based on work environment or individuals that participate in toxins that we associate with beauty, right? So if we're talking about individuals that are doing uh, lashes themselves or um, an individual that is putting lashes on an individual using those glues, um, individuals that are using hair dyes regularly, so it could be salon uh, type stressors or in the world of nails, we think of a lot of these as endocrine disrupting toxins and that would exacerbate or be a big risk factor there. Uh, We also look at in the world of like cleaning products. So it could be individuals that are regularly spraying Lysol in an office or individuals that are in um, the house cleaning environment and exposed to these industrialized chemicals. Uh, Beyond chemicals, we think of individuals that have more of an inflammatory response to foods or allergens. So those that are dealing with food sensitivities or allergies or allergy sensitivities to environment or chemicals because they're just in this upregulated, hypervigilant inflammatory response. Um, We think of women during hormonal time of change, as I mentioned, so that perimenopausal time would be a risk factor to note, or postpartum where there's dynamic estrogen fluctuation in the body. Um, We think of individuals that are dealing with dysbiosis or candida overgrowth um, as being a big role because they have higher amounts of endotoxin when their body is battling that imbalance in the gut. Um, We look at individuals that have misalignment in their structural health. So this could be spinal or maybe um, an imbalance in your hips, or you've gone to a chiropractor and they've said one leg is is longer than the other. Um, That stress over time could create this neurological, neuromuscular impact. And then definitely not to be left unsaid, stress and trauma. So definitely high risk factor association for individuals that have dealt 
with a high stress um, individuals that have a history of trauma. We know that we hold that in our fascia, we hold that in our tissue, and that that also can directly create imbalances of our neurotransmitters. So if we're under even good stress, like opening a new business or um, having another child or I'm thinking of both of us, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, or, you know, we're looking at these dynamics that could be happy and we still have to acknowledge that those dynamic stressors put a tax on our central nervous system. And that's why it's so important that we're bubble wrapping with these compounds like our adaptogen boost and calm and clear and really harnessing the stallion of the brain um, and ensuring that we're not in that imbalanced HPA axis. Like I talk so much with all things anti-anxiety diet. Totally. So it can be a single, you know, triggering event like, you know, my dad died and sure enough, three months later, I'm presenting this way, or it could be this kind of gradual accumulation, you know, over time. And that's something we always dig into. Frog in the pot and boiling water. (laughs) Exactly. But in the world of functional medicine, we're always looking for that antecedent or that triggering event or kind of the storm that, that caused this to happen. Um, and, um, there are some, you know, risk factors as well. So being female, one of mm-hmm. them, um, genetics, so if there is someone in the family and then there is a higher incidence in the population that has rheumatoid arthritis or lupus. So those mm-hmm. autoimmune conditions. Absolutely. And when we're looking at individuals with fibromyalgia, they tend to have abnormal hypersensitivity, Um, This is also known as explosive synchronization or ES. And we've seen researchers that have actually reported that hypersensitivity fibromyalgia patients will experience um, a hypersensitive or hyperactive brain network. Um, So they've used like an EEG and have looked at the electrical signaling in the brain um, and they'll actually see that there is going to be a more dynamic um, electrical stimulation to external disturbances than would be seen in non-fibromyalgia individuals. So the biggest thing that, that I kind of think of is calming down again, That put, it, put that saddle on the wild stallion of the brain because this central nervous system is in an excessive overfiring mode. Yes. So um, is fibromyalgia then considered autoimmune or is there just overlap in that world? You know, it's more of an overlap. The Autoimmune Association notes that fibromyalgia is not an autoimmune disease. However, it does accompany other autoimmune and um, rheumatic or endocrine diseases. And so again, I think it's that category of connection of stress where we know that individuals that tend to have autoimmune conditions had an imbalanced HPA axis. And that's again, that hypothalamic pituitary adrenal feedback loop. And so their body maintained that sympathetic fight or flight mode too long and that then put the immune system into this auto attack mode which is the autoimmune condition but also that same mechanism of action is what drives this excitatory excessive stimulus in the brain which drives more of the pain sensation and tenderness and and um, chronic neurological disorder got it okay so more of a neurological condition than autoimmune for sure um let's talk about how fibromyalgia once it's diagnosed and we've figured this out Um, How is it conventionally going to be addressed or treated? Yeah, so, um, you know, again, it... 
in my knowledge, as an early practitioner back 15 years ago or so, the number one rule of thumb or line would be an SSRI. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of in two cents. One, yes, we, we will talk about neurotransmitters and how we have seen that serotonin and dopamine and norepinephrine levels tend to be lower in individuals that have fibromyalgia. So they maybe don't have that feel-good antidepressant effect of the serotonin. Um, we also know that that dopamine plays a role with that reward-seeking and bliss factor. So there can be that lower, maybe more apathy or flatness. Um, but that also depressed neurotransmitter can influence higher or heightened pain sensation. Um, so that used to be the kind of like, I don't know what to do with you. Just take this antidepressant sure. and just deal with yep. it kind of yep. thing. Um, there's also a lot of practitioners that will just give NSAID drugs. So maybe they'll put them on Celebrex or naproxen sodium. Um, if they're saying that, you know, that extra strength Tylenol or that Aleve or that Motrin isn't cutting the pain and inflammation. That's widely concerning because we know that NSAIDs can cause ulceration and literally bleeding in the stomach or intestines. Um, We know that they can over time drive more of a risk for heart attack and stroke um, and can drive up blood pressure. So then we're starting to enter into that polypharmacy or the need for more drug interaction while we're literally compromising our gut and driving more potentiality then of heightened symptoms. Because right, we said the IBS and the food Mm -hmm. sensitivities drive diagnosis. So that would not be a good intervention there. Um, We look at Lyrica, which we think of as more of a neurological medication. Um, Lyrica is one that has been FDA approved for fibromyalgia. It's uh, pregabalin. Um, But Lyrica comes with a whole gamut of side effects as well. And so when we're looking at Lyrica, we can see blurred vision. We can see burning, tingling, and neuropathy or numbness in the pain uh, or pain in the hands, arms, feet, or legs. We can see imbalance in the body. So um, issues with walking, clumsiness, um, even more frequent falling. We can see double vision, difficulty speaking, constipation, uh, dry mouth as well. Um, We can see um, some cognitive and mental imbalances with use of this medication, including as noted as a symptom, false beliefs that cannot be changed by facts. That's an interesting side effect. I wonder if people had that during the bad season, Becky. Maybe everyone was just, maybe there's Lyrica in the water. Maybe everyone has Lyrica. Yeah. (laughs) Overdose or something. Yes. And these uh, are considered the common side these effects. These are the common. Too. These are not the out there side effects. These are the common ones that the drug manufacturer is sharing um, fever, headache, hoarseness, increased appetite, weight gain, lack of coordination, which I already alluded to. So then you're looking at now all of a sudden a potential diagnosis of MS or right. other issues going on. Um, loss of memory, which could exacerbate that already, fibromyalgia, brain fog. Um, we can see issues with urination, creating painful or difficulty urinating. Um, we can see problems with memory or speech and speech slurring, shakiness, sleeplessness, stabbing pain, trembling, and other issues with muscle control or coordination, and the list goes on. But many of these are cognitive influences as well as overall quality of life, and many of these side effects exacerbate some of the symptoms of the fibromyalgia to begin with. So I mean, it sounds worse than the fibromyalgia. Yeah, to yeah, be I definitely can't imagine that being a good no. intervention 
attention. Um, and then, you know, I didn't mention the side effects of the SSRIs. So we talked about the side effects of the NSAIDs. Now we just hit the Lyrica. If we're talking about um, Prozac or other SSRIs out there like Zoloft, um, you know, these agents can also cause weight gain, loss of sexual desire or a feeling of flatness and, and not that vigor for life. Um, we can see fatigue being worsened with these medications as well as insomnia or sleeplessness, blurred vision, agitation, irritability, and more exacerbated anxiety. Um, so just to note, all of the medications and tools that are out there in the conventional mainstream medical approach, including um, as a further reach, a prescription of anti-seizure medications, they all come with some serious side effects. So the anti-seizure medications can impact liver failure, kidney stones, driving ovarian cysts, and dropping our white blood cells as well as platelets, which are super important when we're talking about a robust immune response. And the anti-seizure, I'm thinking that's because it's going to help to quiet some of that excessive neurological excitability. So there are other things yeah. that we can do that you know are going to get us way closer to whole body health, feeling mellow and grounded in your body while also not being in pain. Um, Let's just start with a couple of approaches of of where we could start, you know, foundationally and naturally with diet, and then we'll move on to supplementation. Yes. So when we hear in mainstream medical that an anti-seizure tool like Lamictal, for instance, can be used as a clinical tool for treatment of said condition, whether it's manic depressive disorder, fibromyalgia, myalgia, you name it, my brain immediately says, let's go keto. Yes. Um, So we know, again, the ketogenic diet is widely accepted, even in the world of endocrinology, as a tool for seizure control. Um, And this has been, you know, since the 1940s that uh, the ketogenic diet was the main go-to for epilepsy. Um, And so when we look at addressing this naturally, I think of removing refined carbohydrates and bringing down your total carbohydrate bank to experience nutritional ketosis. Ketones cross the blood-brain barrier and they actually have GABAergenic effects. So they actually can support that GABA, which GABA is that neuroinhibitory mellower outer in the brain. It'll actually reduce that pain sensation and that excitatory nerve um, kick that you're experiencing with the fibromyalgia pain and sensitivity. Um, and ketones are very... Um, positive for our central nervous system in the sense that they release less free radicals than the metabolism of carbohydrates. So there's less reactive oxygen species that are generated in the brain. So that means a less inflamed brain, less inflamed central nervous system, less inflamed body in the case of fibromyalgia, and the benefits could go on. And I really, you know, I didn't look for research specific to ketosis, but I know that that would be a really fabulous tool because again, we know just the mechanisms of action would be quite robust. Um, But we have seen studies on eliminating gluten, and that's one of the beautiful things when you're doing a Mediterranean approach to a ketogenic diet, eliminating gluten, corn, and hopefully if you're doing a clean food as medicine keto, you're also eliminating soy, um, then you're going to be also eliminating a lot of these inflammatory foods, which could also create pain. Um, So we saw a study that looked at the elimination of gluten for the potential of improving symptoms of fibromyalgia 
And um, this was echoed in various research studies, another one that was published by Arthritis Research and Therapy, and they saw that a one-year gluten-free diet in patients with co-occurring IBS and fibromyalgia saw significant improvement in all symptoms as well as an improvement of quality of life scores. So pretty remarkable there. All sounds pretty good. And if we're going keto, we're also going gluten-free. And so our 12-week keto program, I think, would be a really good resource for someone with a new diagnosis. And heads up, in January, we'll have a live one coming down the pipeline. Yes. So if you're overwhelmed with the virtual program, maybe just purchase our 12-week food as medicine keto meal plans and just start eating the delicious recipes. You don't have to know all the nerdy science. And then you can wait till the new year when your brain's already 50% or greater on track because you're already kind of passively eating keto um, to really ranch things up and pull in more of those functional medicine approaches that we'll teach to you in person in January, definitely. Um, I also would think about working to reduce stimulants in the body. And so sugar, we're already reducing if we're going in a carb control approach with the Mediterranean keto. You'd also want to eliminate excessive caffeine. So this is where I love when our sponsors are a really beautiful balance. And so this is where, you know, when we're talking about the peak state coffee, um, we have seen in some studies that fibromyalgia could be exacerbated by excessive caffeine consumption. Um, We think of caffeine with like fibrocystic breasts. We have that podcast 260, Coffee, the Good, the Bad, the Ugly. Um, But really when we're looking at coffee and selection, knowing that with peak state um, coffee, you're getting the lower acidity and you're getting those adaptogens, which can actually harness and tonify your stress response. That would be one way to not have to break up with the habit of drinking coffee, but to replace, to have less of a dynamic stimulus, which would just jack your central nervous system essentially. Yes. And I think people would be happy to hear they don't have to fully eliminate coffee forever. Yeah. And to make it even better, you might even on top of that peak state coffee, add in maybe some of the Santa Cruz medicinal CBD, um, blending that into your fat fueled coffee. That'll even further ground and tonify that HPA axis. So I think CBD would be another really great tool to consider. Yes, for sure. Um, And then reducing overall toxic burden so looking at your coffee making sure that it's mold free because Mm -hmm. there is a um, heavy metal and um, mold toxicity potential link to fibromyalgia and we also talked about kind of those pain points being those same you know areas that were most concentrated in terms of our our lymph in the body right Um, and so I think detox is a really good intervention and and often a starting point um, in clinic when I have someone come in with fibromyalgia. Absolutely. And we'll link that episode on moving your lymph, um, which has tons of lifestyle support from, you know, dry body brushing and rebounding and sitting on a yoga ball. But the biggest important tool we're looking at is those reset, restore, renew detox packs. Those are going to have, you know, that three to one ratio of the phase two excretion compounds of detoxification support with the sulfur containing amino acids with um, also that phase one detox support which includes liver support like milk thistle and um, diuretic support um, to really work that drainage in the system all paired also with a uh, capsule that has an antioxidant 
antioxidant blend. So we're further reducing inflammation when we're bringing in high antioxidants. And when you're doing our 10 day detox diet, you're eating a lot of phyto compounds or plant-based antioxidants while you're still having tasty meats, just grass fed, pasture raised, wild caught fish. So you're maintaining that good protein. Um, and I would say that that's really important because as we know, a symptom of protein malnourishment is aching in the muscles. Sure. And so that would be another thing that I would always screen a new patient for is, are you getting enough protein in your diet? Because you could be dealing with myalgias from just chronic protein malnourishment, especially if you maybe picked up some new exercise ritual or something like that. Yep. Um, and the next step would be addressing some of those neurotransmitter imbalances that we mentioned. So I think the most known um, with fibromyalgia is um, seeing patients having abnormally low levels of serotonin. Uh, but we mentioned norepinephrine and dopamine also hit there. Yes. And often these individuals may even have elevated epinephrine or adrenaline, if you will. Um, and so this would be an individual that's in that HPA axis overdrive mode where they don't have the landing gear of the serotonin, but they have excessive fight or flight adrenaline chemical from that epinephrine. And that will exacerbate that pain sensation. So this individual, I would highly look at bringing in our calm and clear and our relax and regulate to really harness that. And we'll talk about some other awesome mechanisms of those compounds. Um, but you may want to dig a little bit deeper even furthermore and look at our neurohormone complete plus panel this would look at both the sexual hormone potential imbalance and often we will see individuals with fibromyalgia having low progesterone um, and then again it could be at a time of estrogen shift in the body and so seeing if maybe we need to bring in some bioidentical estrogen and some bioidentical progesterone or just progesterone and maintaining healthy metabolism of the estrogen with our our Brocco detox. Um, so you'll see sex hormone as well as cortisol, which is important because if cortisol levels are really flatlined, then this individual could be experiencing that fibromyalgia from not having enough of that anti-inflammatory corticosteroid that the cortisol would provide in a healthy individual. And what's furthermore is, remember, the adrenal glands make your dopamine, norepinephrine, and epinephrine. So getting a big picture assessment of if the individual has low or high cortisol and then where those neurotransmitters are at helps us to understand how to support those adrenal glands. So for many with fibromyalgia, they may also need actually the adrenal support glandular, um, which is going to be that bovine adrenal compound. Um, so it's actual adrenal gland from cow, and that's going to allow the body to provide an ample amount of cortisol while supporting and getting online that dopamine and norepinephrine. Okay. And then next step would be looking into nutritional deficiencies. And we see this as an underlying driver in many individuals with fibromyalgia, that we might be deficient in one or more nutrients that are associated with pain perception or yes. associated with how that central nervous system is responding. Yeah. So I think of kind of the categories of immune nutrients, um, as well as anti-inflammatory, neurological, and then mitochondrial. Um, so when we're looking at those that are more of the immune mediated, we've seen um, often low levels of vitamin D. So if you're someone that's 
constantly catching every cold and bug that's going around. You may have impaired vitamin D levels um, because you're trying to scavenge as much vitamin D you can to have antiviral or immune boosting effects. And we've seen clinically that those that have low levels of vitamin D, um, that that can impair neuromuscular function and cause muscle pain. And we tend to see fibromyalgia patients running deficient in vitamin D. So checking your vitamin D status would be big. And then vitamin C is another one that we've seen in clinical studies as a deficiency trend that would lean into that immune system mechanism. Um, And I would furthermore say, especially like our Bio-C+, which has that quercetin and the bioflavonoids in there, um, is going to have more of the anti-inflammatory effect and then also affect reduction of that histamine excess in the body, which would drive some of that neuromuscular inflammation. Um, Extending on to our kind of neurological nutrients, we think of choline and inositol and B12 as big players here. And we could even lean into all of the B vitamins. Um, So even like B1, um, thiamine, actually deficiency of thiamine has been shown in studies to mimic fibromyalgia symptoms. And this can actually directly impact serotonin depletion, which can decrease that pain threshold again. Um, We know that also low levels of thiamine or B1 can drive poor energy production and muscle fatigue, as well as muscle soreness. Um, So layering on a B complex on top of your daily multi vitamin. This is also a great way in our world of our form of RB complex in the naturally nourished supplement line. You're going to get that methylated nature made folate, which we know plays a huge role as well. We're also going to get some choline um, and choline is a nutrient that we tend to see altered with individuals with fibromyalgia, um, plays a huge role with our central nervous system. We think of it with fetal brain development and neural tube impact that choline and that methylfolate as big players there. Um, and then um, beyond the B vitamins and the cousin of the B vitamin, I would open up to inositol. Um, and inositol is where we'd really reach for the relax and regulate. Now, most of us would think of the relax and regulate because magnesium, which plays a huge role with pain perception pathways and muscle contraction, um, magnesium has been used as a treatment in many studies for tenderness and pain. And we know that many individuals are magnesium deficient. Um, and so, and also of course, stress depletes magnesium levels further. So when you're taking the relax and regulate, we'd really look for a fibromyalgia individual to aim for about two scoops minimum a day of the relax and regulate. Um, that's going to help with that magnesium bisglycinate to reduce that muscle pain as well as regulate the sleep. Um, remember that magnesium bisglycinate crosses that blood brain barrier and can tell the pituitary in the brain to stop stimulating the adrenals. So it can also combat that fight or flight stress response. Um, And we know that magnesium deficiency through reductions in our muscle ATP levels will play a role in the development or exacerbating the symptoms of fibromyalgia. And then that inositol, which is that cousin of the B vitamin family, which is that second powerhouse ingredient in our relax and regulate plays a role with intercellular signaling. It plays a role as an anxiolytic or an anxiety reducer. 
It offsets insomnia and supports healthy sleep patterns, and it can help on a neurological function. Yes, totally. And often these individuals will have most pain when they're like lying down, you know, still in bed at night, or there's some overlap with restless leg as well. So I think the relax and regulate is really, really key for this population. Yes. So then we'd go into the mitochondria nutrients. Um, And so this is where I'm thinking of carnitine. There was a small randomized trial that tested acetyl-L-carnitine along with Cymbalta, and it was 65 women with fibromyalgia, and they had general clinical improvement um, in all symptoms assessed. Um, And then they saw that the acetyl-L-carnitine itself was able to improve depression, pain, and overall quality of life in the fibromyalgia patients that were assessed. And that was 1,500 milligrams, which when we're looking at our boost and burn, you're getting two grams or 2,000 milligrams per teaspoon. And what's more with the carnitine is that you're also going to be getting in our boost and burn a good amount of B vitamins like pantothenic acid um, or pantothenate. And you're also going to be getting in that boost and burn uh, ribose, which is going to be a powerhouse for energy production and support even um, DNA replication in the body. So we're definitely getting more of that genetic transcription support as well as neurological and mitochondrial. And um, we think Think of the impact of carnitine as clean burning fuel that can also aid in supporting ketone production. So you might get that two for one in the sense, especially if you're limiting your carbohydrate consumption. Yes. And so we're looking at about a teaspoon of our boost and burn daily and, and, you know, also beneficial in terms of enhancing energy, helping with exercise recovery, because you'll see in a moment, exercise is one of the biggest recommendations and just having that resilience to like get up and do the exercises you need to do, you know, the next day. Absolutely. And then, and then enhanced body fat burn, which can't hurt anyway. And again, if you've been on medications like the Lyrica or the SSRIs, you may be dealing with weight gain as a side effect. So this would be a great tool to get that energy boost, less pain and um, good exercise recovery and muscle function. Um, Another one in the world of mitochondria that comes to mind is CoQ10. Um, And so with the CoQ10, um, we know that this is a huge powerhouse for our mitochondria, which is our energy factories um, within the cells of our body. And mitochondria is highly concentrated in muscles. So when we're thinking of neuromuscular pain, we think of deficiency of the nutrients that work in that energy powerhouse. There was a study of people that took uh, 300 milligrams of CoQ10 um, for 40 days, and they saw a marked um, reduction of fatigue, morning tiredness, and pain. So our CoQ10 complex could be taken at two um, or maybe three a day in the beginning. And then after that first month brought down to um, two. And then after six months taken just one a day as a baseline would likely be sufficient. And again, the beauty and the synergy here, both the boost and burn and CoQ10 support cardiovascular health and prevent heart disease. Whereas some of those noted medication interventions could enhance actually risk factor. Totally. Um, And then I think of omega-3s and turmeric in the world of just general anti-inflammatory, you know, high antioxidant in the case of the turmeric, 
and pain reduction. So those would for sure want to be on our supplement list as well. Yeah. So the EPA DHA extra at, you know, at least three to four a day, super turmeric, you could play with anywhere between three to six a day, truly. Um, And these you'd use, of course, your omega-3, that three to four a day is kind of standard, a little bit higher dose than what we typically recommend as a baseline, but for anyone dealing with pain. And then the super turmeric, um, you know, maybe starting with more five to six instead of that three to four window to get off of the NSAIDs to help to support the circulating prostaglandins and interleukins and these inflammatory mediators. And you may even consider adding in our inflammazyme to this because inflammazyme, we really think of that nerve and tissue inflammation. So the super tumor could be kind of that, that NSAID replacement instead of the over-the-counter or prescriptive pain anti-inflammatories and then the inflammazyme would maybe even be layered in for more antioxidant and anti-inflammatory approach with those proteolytic enzymes which could help with some of that dull chronic nerve pain totally Um, and then i'm thinking we need some stress support built into this strategy as well especially knowing again the huge neurotransmitter connection the connection of fibromyalgia you know developing um, after a high stress and, and being exacerbated by stress Yes. So the first one I would think of is the Calm and Clear. And then second to that would be the Adaptogen uh, Boost. Um, So the Calm and Clear is going to have ashwagandha in there, which is a calming adaptogen. So adaptogens help us to be resilient to stressors without fatigue. Um, And so the ashwagandha is kind of a, I always think of the ashwagandha, it mellows you out, but it still maintains that cognitive clarity. There's other nervines in the Calm and Clear like our German chamomile is in there. Um, And then there's going to be L-theanine, which is an amino acid that modulates your neurotransmitters in the brain. So if you aren't testing with the Neurohormone Complete Plus panel, I would only advise using 5-HTP if you have tested your serotonin levels and you know that they're clinically low because you would not want to take a 5-HTP, which is a building block of serotonin, without knowing that you're low because you don't want to drive excessive serotonin syndrome, um, which you can do with over-the-counter 5-HTP. So make sure that that's not your first line of defense. That would be only layered in following the calm and clear, the relax and regulate, and then the adaptogen boost if you still need some support in your neurotransmitters. And that would be only if we see that you are clinically low through assessment. Um, So the calm and clear is great because it has a B vitamin suite. It has the adaptogens, the nervines, that L-theanine, as well as phosphatidylserine to help to regulate the adrenal um, cortisol output metabolism. So calm and clear, probably four to six capsules a day minimum. If you're dealing through high stress at the time, you might even go upwards of eight um, if you're dealing with maybe a new job or divorce or something more dynamic. And then and the um, adaptogen boost is going to have the rhodiola, cordyceps, and uh, ginseng, the Panax ginseng. That'll create good, clean energy that helps us to um, prevent that stress-induced fatigue and have that resilience in that central nervous system. Okay. I think that's most of the supplement yes. recommendations. Some food as um, medicine. Let's do some food as medicine and then a couple of lifestyle um, goals here as well. Love it. So um, we will put together kind of that suite of supplement recommendation. Um, And again, you kind of want to think of considering the world of mitochondria, 
B vitamin family for neurological support. You want to think of the natural anti-inflammatories and then the stress reducers and regulators. That's kind of the four categories. And then I also mentioned some of those immune players, which everyone needs to make sure their vitamin D level is optimized. And our vitamin D balance blend would be the go-to there. I didn't didn't name drop that formula, I suppose. So food as medicine, we would look back to these nutrients and look for food sources. So if we're thinking of the mitochondria and we're thinking of the world of the neurological nutrients, I go right to organs as a big rule here. So oysters, um, getting in ancestral blends of ground meats, which have maybe liver and kidney and heart blended in, that's going to be a really great source of that CoQ10, a really robust source of the B vitamins, including that B12. Um, We would also think in the world of um, the animal foods, serotonin boosting foods specifically, so higher tryptophan sources, which would be like your dark poultry, so chicken thighs or dark ground turkey. Um, We also see a good amount of the um, compounds to build serotonin in our dairy form, so we could use the naturally nourished grass-fed whey here um, or a quality whole milk um, Greek yogurt. Um, We would also look at the world of magnesium for sure. So your two to three cups of leafy greens daily would be beautiful. Getting in your nuts and seeds. Avocado would be a great overlap of the magnesium as well as giving you some potassium and also some B vitamins in there. Um, We'd want to bring in our omega-3s in the diet as well from wild caught fish and shellfish and um, small fish like sardines even to get that whole, whole organelle as well. Um, We'd think of other anti-inflammatories, so using ginger, turmeric in your smoothies and protein shakes, um, adding in teas for higher phytocompounds like rooibos or green tea would be beautiful, and then maybe even layering in some melatonin-supporting foods like tart cherries or walnuts or asparagus and tomatoes. And all sounds like a delicious food as medicine prescription for yeah. sure. Not hard to do. I really think you can do it by getting our 12-week keto meal yep. plan. Yep. It's all in it's there. It's all in there already. Yeah. Um, and then just a couple of, of lifestyle pointers to round things out. So regular exercise is huge. Higher levels of physical fitness are consistently associated in studies with less severe fibromyalgia symptoms in women. Um, Yoga in particular, so one study showed um, over eight weeks, 75-minute yoga sessions twice a week to reduce pain. And we also see then, you know, the cortisol connection. So we're altering total cortisol levels, which is going to decrease that pain perception, um, help to increase mindfulness for sure. Um, And then um, physical manipulation in terms of massage. Um, I mentioned the uh, manual lymphatic drainage Mm -hmm. um, and trying to get that like once a week, if possible, if you're dealing with significant pain, um, or just regular massages weekly, and then going for a hardcore, you know, lymph massage, um, once a month. Um, and acupuncture also has been shown to, um, have safe, effective, and immediate reduction of pain in patients with fibromyalgia. Yes. So energy creates energy and you have to get things moving to reduce that inflammation and stagnation in the body. I'm also thinking Becky of like those, um, uh, blasters, like a fascia blaster would be another thing to consider. So we can link, I just got a really cool new one that I've been using. I'm, I'm going to test my left leg and not do my right leg and see if I can get rid of (laughs) some of my milk bags that I still have residing on my thighs. me after this baby. Um, (laughs) So it's like those like rolly. Fascia blaster. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm Kind of looks like a little claw and you kind of go at it. Yeah. 
Um, so just like we've talked about like gua shaing or jade rolling in the face and working on the lymphatic areas, a fascia blaster would be a really great thing too because you're kind of liberating where that tension was held, that stress, that memory or score of the body from that trauma and liberating that and then always supported with detox packs. So keeping for the fibromyalgia population, not only are we keeping the anti-inflammatories, but probably a detox pack a day will be my last recommendation in the world of supplements. So hopefully today's episode provided you a couple ahas and uh, thought processes of how you can continue to move your wellness journey forward. Again, if you have a friend or family member dealing with chronic pain or fatigue or even just borderline depression, anxiety, and they're just not feeling awesome in their body, definitely send this episode over as a resource because I think that there's a lot of guidance that could be very supportive. And uh, stay tuned to grab a class in our our 12-week virtual food as medicine program. Well, the live one goes in January, so you can participate in that live with Becky and myself. Or if you're wanting to get going right now, you can grab a spot in the evergreen virtual tier. We'll put a link for both in the show notes. And all resources uh, and supplements noted are over at AllieMillerRD.com. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.